listeners, and welcome to this episode of Selling Gene, the podcast. I'm your host, Aaron Harris, and joining me today is Ciliad Oncology's Chief Medical Officer, Dr. Charlie Morris. Charlie, welcome. Thanks for your time. Thank you, Aaron. It's great to be here. Looking forward to talking with you. Good, good. All right. So first of all, Ciliad Oncology is a clinical stage biotech focused on the discovery and development of CAR-T therapies for cancer. But there have been a few changes, so we want to make sure that we're addressing what those are. And so what I want to talk to you right off the bat about is, so why did Ciliad Oncology decide to make the pivot to focus solely on allogeneic CAR-T therapies? Yeah, it's an interesting question, uh, Aaron. We were originally an autologous company ourselves, and we were uh, advanced, we've advanced uh, a couple of uh, autologous assets into clinical trials. Uh, but it's also clear that there are many, many companies already focused in those. Uh, in the autologous space, there's obviously been uh, some phenomenal success, and we have, what, five uh, approved products at this stage. And we felt uh, there may not be room to, to keep trying to compete in, in that kind of area going forward. And we had some interesting technologies from which we could see approaches from which we could develop uh, allogeneic approaches. Um, so with the autologous CAR T cells, as I said, there's been uh, significant clinical benefits, but it's quite a complex process. So, you know, patients undergo apheresis, transportation of those cells, isolation, activation of the T cells, uh, to engineer the uh, chimeric antigen receptor, grow, expand the cells, transport, preconditioning chemotherapy. So it's really a process much more than a product, whereas we see the potential for allogeneic RTs to be what we refer to more as an off-the-shelf biologic product uh, with, relatively speaking, perhaps an unlimited supply of T cells because we're using healthy donor cells from which to generate the CAR-T product. And we believe that, you know, part, at least part, if not all of the future of CAR-T probably lies in allogeneic approaches if we can, if we can you know, unkey, uh, unlock uh, some of the puzzles that, that it's still presenting, but it's still relatively new technology. Um, but at the same time, even within the allogeneic space, we don't think all CAR-Ts are created equal. And we're working on a, a somewhat differentiated approach to our, our peers in the industry. Yeah, sure. Fair enough. Perfect. Um, now, I want to talk a little bit more broadly about allogeneic versus autologous. We talk about that particular topic on cell and gene ad nauseum frequently. And so what are some of the benefits and challenges of the allogeneic approach as compared to the autologous approach? What, what's your thought on that? I think if we can get these to a stage of being uh, commercialized and, you know, having established great efficacy with safety. Uh, I think the primary uh, benefit that we think of is that it's an off-the-shelf uh, treatment uh, or, as I say, an out-of-the-deep-freeze treatment. But it, but it could be available on-site. It's not having to be always manufactured just in time for the individual patients. Our cells are sourced from healthy donors. That means uh, there's you know, as I said before, in theory, at least uh, an unlimited supply uh, of cells. And it also means that the cells are likely fitter. The, the autologous cells are coming uh, from patients who have undergone chemotherapy. They have, you know, they're cancer patients. And, and a lot of the time we suspect that the autologous cells could be less fit, whereas these are fitter cells with which we can deal. 
we can produce batches of cells as compared to an individual patient product. And that potentially allows for greater consistency in the final product. We also imagined that as well, looking far ahead into the future, that the commercial supply could be a reduced cost of goods because the focus we can focus on scaling up our manufacturing, generating larger batches, and larger batches obviously is associated with cost reduction. Uh, whereas for the patient-specific therapies, scale up's not feasible because it's always one for one. It's one process for one patient. And so, so the, the cost, and you know, we all readily acknowledge that it's a high cost right now, uh, are maintained because of the need to keep producing that, uh, that single patient uh, treatment. So you don't get any benefit of economist scale. So I think you couple that with predictable dosing, uh, no bridging, uh, it shouldn't require bridging chemotherapy to keep the patient uh, in, in remission awaiting their treatment because of the off-the-shelf nature of it. And we think this is also, and I will come back to this, I'm sure, it could be readily usable for multiple dosing, uh, whereas, you know, that, that's less, uh, it's, it's possible, but, uh, but less easy uh, in the autologous space. Um, on the challenge side, I mean, I think this is right. It's, it's still relatively new, right? It, we're still, we've got to um, either through gene editing or in our case with a couple of non-gene editing approaches, we've got to make sure that we're knocking down the T-cell receptors so that we don't induce graft versus host disease, which we perceive as, as one of the key risks. And at this point, all of, all of us, ourselves, our peers, are, are really understanding how best to use the products, um, how do we maintain the durability of responses, which has clearly been very, very positive for autologous, but I think in our area, we're still, uh, we're still learning these things. Uh, but, uh, but these are, the, you know, our job is to navigate that to, to try to figure these things out. Yeah, good. Okay. And you mentioned uh, non-gene edited approaches, which is where I want to pivot to next, um, and specifically around shRNA. So how would a non-gene edited shRNA approach maybe result in better efficacy and safety for CAR-T therapies? Um, you know, so in other words, like what are the, what are the benefits from this approach? Right. So, so the majority of, uh, of companies and, and academics working in the uh, allergenetic CAR-T space are using a variety of gene editing approaches, and we know what those are, whether it's CAFAs, PAS9, et cetera, et cetera. Uh, and the risk there uh, is, of, and theoretical risk, but um, perhaps a potentially real risk if it's seen, is the translocation. Because with gene editing, you're inducing uh, a double strand break, those have to repair, and you, you may get some, uh, some, some missed uh, locations at the time of that repair. So we, what we use is a short hairpin RNA, which can be incorporated into our vectors. And it's an interfering RNA approach. And that leads to knockdown, because it's a gene knockdown as opposed to a, an edit and a knockout, there's none of that uh, induction of double strand breaks, and therefore that risk of translocation is not there. I think one of the other interesting things down the line is that uh, gene editing is all or none, right? You either you've either knocked it in, sorry, knocked it out, or it's still there. Uh, but we can control, we can dial down to a desired level. So if there are particular gene targets, gene products that you think need to be taken down to a low level, but perhaps not all the way out, we can do that as a knockdown and control the level. So that's an interesting potential. And for ourselves specifically, uh, one of uh, our things is 
using this technology, um, we uh, create these uh, cells using uh, an all-in-one retroviral vector. Um, so everything that we're inserting into the cell can be included in a single vector. Um, <clears throat> even, even we can multiplex and have multiple shRNAs uh, in, that, uh, in that same single vector. Uh, so, and that has some uh, manufacturing advantages for us. As I said, we can multiplex, knock down multiple genes in the same vector. So you might think of targets that will help with immune evasion, targets that will help with, uh, with, uh, with um, in addition to knocking down the T cell receptor, all being carried on the same vector. And uh, finally, you know, SHRNA can target genes that are not suitable for gene editing. Um, and therefore, uh, potentially expanding the therapies based on indications and diseases of, uh, of interest. Um, and, you know, as we've now begun to see some validation of this platform, uh, we, uh, we uh, <clears throat> last year had our first clinical data from our SHRNA based platform with our SIAD uh, uh, 211 product. And it's this SHRNA technology platform that all of our future uh, allogeneic RT programs will use. Good, good, okay. Uh, oh, you're teeing up my questions nicely. This is great because I wanted to talk about SIAD 211. Yeah, right. <laughs> so at, uh, at last year's uh, ASH conference, for example, you guys you know, did discuss early data for SIAD 211, uh, which is your CAR-T therapy for multiple myeloma patients. So why are you focusing on this particular cancer? Why does Celiad find that to be the most important cancer to focus on? So uh, I think this has to do with a number of things. I mean, first of all, the strongest data to date for uh, for both autologous and indeed other allogeneic CARTs ha have been in hematologic malignancies, but primarily uh, B-cell uh, malignancies as well as multiple myeloma. And in multiple myeloma, we have validation of the target BCMA or, or uh, B-cell maturation antigen, uh, which is we now have two approved uh, products on the autologous side, um, <coughs> targeting, my, uh, targeting BCMA for, for myeloma, as well as very strong data for uh, antibody for conjugates and uh, bispecific T-cell engagers. So you may say, well, isn't it a very busy space? But that's sort of part of the reason to target that when you're first trying to validate your platform. If we go against an unvalidated target with an unvalidated technology platform, and we don't get the results that we that we hope to see. There's there's too many degrees of uncertainty to really be able to tease out what we can see. So if we target um, BCMA and multiple myeloma, high as that bar has become to get across, but we know that if we have a, a good technology, we should see responses. We should see high responses, and we um, we we may well have a path forward. But it's a, it also enables us to validate the SHRNA platform. So I think if we can then show, yes, yeah, like others, we have seen activity in multiple myeloma, that encourages, I think, others to come and look at our platform and consider its potential. So if you think about SIAD 211 specifically, you know, it has a, a chimeric antigen receptor with a BCMA specific engager. Has our allogeneic uh, technology, which is a single uh, SHRNA targeting 
CD3 zeta component of the PCR complex. So that leads to the knockdown of, of, uh, of the PCL, uh, sorry, of the T cell receptor, uh, therefore limiting the opportunity for graft uh, for, uh, versus host disease. And we also always include a selective marker, sort of a truncated cell surface tag, so that it's easier to, if you like, spot the, uh, the, the CAR T cells and therefore you can positively enrich uh, during manufacture. At, at the American Society of uh, Hematology, the meeting in December, we've sent data from the first 12 patients dosing three dosing uh, cohort. They received um, a lymphodepleting chemotherapy with cyclophosphamide and fludarabine, just as is used across all of the autologous programs. And we use the same kind of doses that were used in those programs, so 300 milligrams per meter squared uh, cyclophosphamide three days, 30 milligrams per meter squared fludarabine three days. And um, the idea there, of course, is to knock down the, the patient's own T cells so that they you don't get host versus graft disease and they don't uh, they don't target the donor uh, CAR T cells. Um, so to date, we, I mean, first of all, we've been able to detect the cells in the peripheral blood of all of the patients that we've administered to, uh, seen no evidence of graft versus host disease. And we, we've seen no or very low levels of the things that you think of these days, at least as kind of classic for uh, CAR T cells. So we've had just one grade one cytokine release syndrome. We've had no uh, CAR T related encephalopathy syndrome. Uh, at each of the dose levels, we've had a partial response. Early data, but obviously it's encouraging to start seeing uh, clinical responses beginning to occur. And um, I think the, the thing that we need to explore further now, though, is although we have those responses, the engraftment and persistence of our cells has really uh, has been perhaps a little short. And that seems to be coincident with the relatively early return of the patient's T cells. Uh, after these, you know, standard doses of lymphodepletion. So our next step, what, and we're undertaking this uh, and in our ongoing treatment cohort, is to increase the doses of cyclophosphamide and fludarabine that we're using to try and have deeper and longer uh, lymphodepletion. So the cells have got more time to do their work. They can reach higher peaks, greater persistence and do more. And we also plan to go into cycling of treatments as well. So we will, you know, once there's been recovery from the first round, as I said earlier, there's the potential here to use this much more like a, a classic uh, oncology product. We can go back and do it again to, to try to maximize clinical benefit. I don't think any of the CAR-T companies yet has really figured it, all of this out. You know, people are looking at different means for immune evasion, different doses of uh, preconditioning chemotherapy. That said a couple of times, it's it's early days and it's very much an ongoing exercise, and we're and we're learning as as we move through. But I think we're at a, uh, it feels like we're at, at the beginning of a, an important movement, a positive movement for for this program. Good, good, okay. Um, I want to pivot a little bit to your new pipeline product, which is Syad Two Hundred Three, um, and as I understand it, it could be the first ever. IL-18 secreting allogeneic CAR-T candidate. Um, talk to us about the addition of the IL-18 potentially creating a more durable immune response. Is, is that possible? Where, where are we at? Yeah, I, 
IL-18 is, is a very interesting pro-inflammatory cytokine uh, that is known to directly potentiate the uh, anti-cancer activity of CAR T cells, and also um, alters the balance of pro-inflammatory cells within tumors. So it's, it's having a number of effects of, in both an autocrine sense and a paracrine sense on the cells. And there are public preclinical studies demonstrating uh, augmented activity, enhanced and tumor immunity of IL-18 secreting CAR Ts. Clinically, it's quite an interesting approach, because whereas you, could, you can think of a whole group of, uh, of, of uh, cytokines which you could potentially arm your T cells with in order to, to drive greater proliferation and so on, but we believe that this has potential to be safer than those which are, because systemically, all of us, all humans, have very high levels of an IL-18 binding protein, and that would be expected to neutralize the systemic uh, IL-18, so you don't have, you know, sort of overwhelming symptoms, uh, cytokine uh, release syndrome type symptoms. Um, but it also means that the cells have got to be able to produce sufficient localized levels in the tumors uh, to overcome uh, neutralization in the tumors. And that will be the test as we look at our preclinical testing and, and subsequent clinical testing to understand uh, whether we can do that. But certainly in our preclinical models, th this clearly appears to have a more potent effect. And so the clinical candidate, this, as you said, is Cyan203. Uh, this will express uh, NKG2D, uh, which is uh, a receptor which we've uh, done a lot of work with in the past, and we'll discuss a little more in a moment. Um, and uh, it, but it's using uh, SHRNA to, to knock down the T cell receptor again. Uh, in the same vector, we can introduce, uh, uh, you know, we can encode for, for IL-18, and we're working on advancing this towards an IND application in the second half of this year. Okay, great, great. Um, finally, I want to talk a little bit about SAD-101, which uh, you're studying in colorectal cancer as both a monotherapy and in conjunction with Keytruda. And so talk to us about the technology behind the asset and, and any ongoing trials there. Yes, yeah, so SIAD 101, uh, is, is, this uses a different allogeneic CAR-T technology. So, you know, I focus very much on our uh, SHRNA-based uh, technology. This is uh, our first allogeneic technology, which is called a T-cell inhibitory molecule, or T uh, we refer to it as TIM technology. And that, uh, that produces a T-cell inhibitory molecule, which inhibits the CD3 zeta component of the T-cell receptor, uh, reducing its signaling. So, you know, step one for all of these products don't have graft versus host disease. But in this uh, setup, it's the, uh, the uh, TIM, which uh, leads to the, uh, the switching off of the activity of the T-cell receptor. And this is the only one of our candidates that uses this particular technology. Now, 101 is expressed to, uh, is sorry, engineered to express NKG2D, which is a naturally occurring uh, NK cell receptor that, that actually binds eight different ligands, and these are stress ligands. So, most of the time, these are not expressed on the normal tissues. So in the face of a viral infection, uh, you may well see, uh, you may well have high levels of these stress ligands. And also uh, in solid and hematological indications. So for most patients, if we administer the cells, 
the only place they're likely to find you know, they could find their target uh, is on those uh, is, is on the tumor cells. Now we conducted a previous clinical study in which we studied uh, SIAD 101 in 15 patients with uh, microsatellite stable uh, metastatic colorectal cancer. Microsatellite stables are of particular interest. Um, drugs like Keytruda and, and others do have an indication for the microsatellite uh, instability high patients who have these more inflamed tumors. The, uh, the so-called MSS patients, these are less inflamed tumors, not susceptible to uh, um, targeting with, uh, with the checkpoint inhibitors. So we uh, tested 15 patients following Folfox chemotherapy uh, <coughs> preconditioning, and we saw uh, partial responses in two of those patients, despite the fact that they had uh, previously progressed after Folfox chemotherapy. Um, and we also saw a reduction in tumor burden of a further six of the patients. So just over half the patients had some degree of reduced tumor burden. So interesting data for a solid tumor with, an, with any CAR T cell, but with an allogeneic CAR T cell. And so we're encouraged by that. Um, and so, um, as I mentioned, Keytruda has shown efficacy in, uh, in microsatellite in unstable patients. But in these MSS tumors, which are cold, very low responses. So in that first study, we were also able to demonstrate that the patients who had a partial responses had a change in their T cell repertoire. And these cells we feel may benefit from the PD-1 inhibitory effect of Keytruda. And therefore, SIAD-101 can create more inflammatory tumor immunophenotype, which may provide the opportunity for efficacy of pembrolizumab. So in a sense, we're thinking we can use these cells which have some activity on their own following chemotherapy, but to create an environment which may, uh, uh, may be suitable for showing efficacy of pembrolizumab. So based on this theory, we were able to reach a clinical trial agreement with Merck to apply Keytruda. Uh, and in that study, we give um, three cycles of Folfox chemotherapy followed by SAD-101 cells. Take a three-week break, and then we uh, begin uh, uh, introduction of Keytruda chemotherapy until progression. Now, some recent news, uh, unfortunately for, uh, for us, is that we have seen a couple of uh, patients who had um, serious events in, these, uh, in this particular trial. And obviously we're trying to unpack that and understand whether any of these treatments have played a role in that or whether it, it, it relates to uh, the disease itself. And so the trial is currently on the hold. We put it on a hold ourselves and the FDA has subsequently introduced clinical hold as well. Uh, but we hope to get through to answering those questions and getting this back on track, because I think the hypothesis here is very interesting. Uh, we just need to understand who, uh, you know, what's the right, uh, again, how do we use this so that we don't have safety issues? Sure. And and as time goes on and as more data is, is brought forth, I hope you'll come back and share with us uh, any new information about all of your pipeline products. I, I would love to, yeah. Good, good. Well, we've reached sort of the formal end of our discussion. And at the end of every episode, I like to talk to my guests about what they do when they're not in the lab or in the office. And so what I'm asking you is, what do you like to do on the weekend? <laughs> um, I like to watch far too much sport, um, <laughs> in particular uh, English soccer. 
because uh, uh, I, I, I lived in the US since uh, 1998, but uh, uh, I have not lost my, my love for, for soccer. Uh, love to exercise, to run, to bike, to, to walk, and just to, uh, you know, I'm fortunate enough to have had my first grandchild, who is now two years old. Uh, my second will be born in a couple of months' time, so uh, that's something else. Uh, to to spend time and, and enjoy because they're close by in, in Philadelphia. So uh, fun in many different ways. Oh, that's wonderful. That's wonderful. Well, uh, congratulations on the upcoming birth of your second grandchild. That's wonderful. Uh, and they'll keep you moving. So feel sounds Absolutely. like you like moving. Absolutely. Absolutely. <laughs> <laughs> uh, all right, listeners, that wraps up this episode of Selling the Podcast with my guest, Ciliad Oncology's Chief Medical Officer, Dr. Charlie Morris. Charlie, thanks again for your time today. You're welcome. This was fun, and uh, be sure to visit Cell and Gene to sign up for our newsletter to receive our timely Cell and Gene-related content. It'll come right to your inbox. Talk to you soon.